Hey, wrestling fans, it's the Million Dollar Body, Mr. Fitness 2. And it's my honor and privilege to announce that the guest on Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast this week is none other than Nebraska Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame member Austin Storm. I've known this guy for almost two decades. I'd been in the business for a couple years when I first encountered him. I was trying to cut my teeth in some other areas. And he was a locker room leader that I could really look up to and respect. And over the years, developed a great friendship with him. Uh, he's a guy I definitely consider a brother in this crazy, crazy world of professional wrestling. And again, there's just so many amazing things I could say about him. I was contemplating a story or two I could tell to kind of kick this off. But at the end of the day, even when you've been around as long as I have, you realize there's a time to keep your mouth closed and your ears open. And truth be told, I'm looking forward to listening to this podcast as much as the rest of you this week. So without further ado, please, please, please allow me to welcome both Johnny Cadillac and his guest, the Grand Poobah of modern pro wrestling in the Omaha area, my friend and yours, Austin Storm. And welcome to Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac, and I want to say right off the bat, I uh, was working a show in Omaha, Nebraska, an MWA show in Omaha, Nebraska, a couple months ago, and I was just backstage, and Mr. Fitness 2 was, was talking to somebody who was in attendance there that night, and I, I'm just observing the conversation, enjoying what I'm hearing, but I want to be respectful and not interrupt. And before I have a chance to say or enter anything or introduce myself, Fitness 2 turns to me and says, Johnny Cadillac, you want a good podcast episode. This guy right here is who you need to talk to. And uh, long story short, a couple meetings later, here we are, and I am here with Austin Storm. And Austin, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it's a real honor for me and this podcast to have you on. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on to Caddy Chat here today. Well, thanks for having me, Johnny Cadillac. It's uh, great to be able to connect with fans after such a long hiatus. So it's uh, it's good to talk wrestling again. All right. You said a long hiatus. There's a little bit of a cutting out there, but you said after a long hiatus, it's good to talk wrestling again, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's been a long time. Absolutely. And, you know, and I just getting to know you, because I've heard Austin Storm is one of those names I've heard so many times in the six years I've been involved with MWA, but when I got involved, I would hear Austin Storm when I would hear earlier stories in MWA. I once asked Brian Blade if he was the one who uh, founded MWA, and he was quick to be like, nope, I can't take that credit. You. That's all That's all, Austin Storm. So I heard your name so often, and then when I actually finally got the chance to meet you, 
it, it's it's been great from there and uh i must say i'll, I'll give you credit because you were so humble about yourself you're like yep i'm i'm me my brother makes title belts <laughs> and you just didn't really tell me anything about yourself and but then I'd have everyone else say, "Oh, Austin Storm's such a great guy. You yeah, need well, to talk to him." Uh, that's usually just the opposite. <laughs> like when I was actually wrestling, yeah. Well, I mean, as a character, I just uh, yeah, I was pretty obnoxious. I was always a a very angry wrestler, and that you know usually that character develops through sort of experience you know right i think they always say that your best character is really just you amplified you know what i mean right and um i I will tell you like austin storm is really just me without a filter and um and then it just goes back to background you know of how years and years ago when I first started and, and everybody did back in those old days, you had to be a, you started as a baby face. Everybody did. Okay. Um, Cause that's how you learn. Sure. That's how you did. And then somewhere down the line, you know, you either change or you don't. And in my case, uh, how that came about, which is another story altogether was I was in a show, my home hometown at the time was um, just outside of Atlanta and this was about the time of the rise of ECW and the NWO, right? Okay. So I'm wrestling a, a mask guy who's fairly new. They just bring him in, and uh, I lock up, and uh, he's about 20 pounds lighter than I am, and I push him off, and he falls on the ground, and he yells, says I pulled his mask. And I said, I didn't pull the mask. I asked the crowd. I didn't pull him. And, and the referee looks at the crowd, and he comes back, and he said, uh, yeah, they said you did. Oh. And I looked at them, and they had this big smug grin on their face. And I said, okay. So I locked up again, and I grabbed him by the mask, and I pulled him down. I said, now ask me if I did it. And he said, yeah. He said, uh, did you do it? And I said, yeah. And asked me why. And he said, why? And I said, well, if I'm going to get blamed for it, I might as well do it. And that's <laughs> – kind of and i tell you what the promote promoter was not happy but it just kind of started like that it was i'd spent so many years as a baby face and and working and the crowd really started to get into a new era you know yeah and i just kind of went went with it you know well and, that's- and so that's really how that whole thing started that's awesome because it reminds me kind of, and I'm not like trying to compare the name Johnny Cadillac and say, oh, he's just as much of a legend as Austin Storm. I'm not doing any of that, but that's kind of where it was a Lincoln show where the crowd kind of turned on me. Um, that was the disadvantage was I was a ring announcer, but I was also serving the role of commissioner, and they wanted me to make a call, but it was time to move to the next match, and I said, oh no. How am I? How am I going to move to the next match without pissing people off here? And the the truth behind it was I couldn't. And so they started they started getting heated with me. And then eventually I said, well, maybe these people are going to give me uh have start booing me. Let me give them a reason to boo me. 
and I started talking back, and some sort of magic was created that wasn't intended. I mean, it's not really the most uh, opportune thing to have a ring announcer be so heated with the crowd, but nevertheless, that's how I was in the Lincoln shows, and then when we're outside the Lincoln area, I'm like, okay. Like, Lincoln understands it, it's a thing now, but anywhere else, like, it just doesn't make any sense, so, you know, I'll be the traditional ring announcer there. But that was that was still the whole thing was, I was like, man, if these people are going to start booing me, I might as well give them a reason to boo me. Right. And that's, I mean, that's how the best characters really, really develop. Right. I mean, that's how most of the, the guys that I've, I've met um, really became who they are was something like that. Um, I, I just remember when we did the, the all American gimmick, uh, uh, cause I was, I wrestled college and I just figured the crowd was going to love a guy that was athletic and all American and all that. And they did not. At okay. all. So then I started becoming indignant about it. Like you will, you will love me. You will respect me. You, you know, all that. And that just gave him more pushback. And so really I talked about that. I'll talk about that on um, promos and, and in the ring and everything else about, you know, and, and that's the other thing that I'll, I tell everybody is the difference between a baby face and a heel is nothing but circumstances. Okay. Yeah. So a, a good wrestler can go from one to the other just by a matter of circumstances, you know, you flair Hogan, all the, all the top guys have been on both sides of the fence and circumstances are the only thing that really changed. They never really changed who they were. You know, you don't, if, if you're Ric Flair, you don't walk up and shake hands with the crowd and kiss the babies and everything. You're still styling and profiling. So it's not, it's, he never changed who he was. It was who he was wrestling and the circumstances of that. And I really think that once you know yourself as a wrestler and that's who you are, then just cer- then it's just circumstances. So it doesn't matter where I went. If it was OWA or went down to Kansas and I could be one or the other, it didn't matter. All you had to do is give me the circumstance and that's, that's who I was going to be to the crowd. So um, I think that's how the the best characters develop is just just organically in those cases. You know, that's great because like that makes so much sense, and I never actually fully thought of it that way until you said it just now. And <laughs> you're absolutely right in all this. I do need to ask: when you were doing that all American gimmick, what year was that roughly? Oh, golly, it would have been. 2008 or 10. Okay. That was, that was modern day. I, I did a a born in the USA Austin storm gimmick back in the mid nineties. And the funny story behind that one was it was all for money. I had gone to a show and this guy was a horrible wrestler, horrible, but he was wildly popular. He was, I mean, he just didn't look the part. He couldn't wrestle, nothing, but the crowd loved him. And he 
are nothing but giant smiley faces all over his <laughs> outfits. Okay. Right? Hat, everything. And then at the gimmick table, he sold pencils and pens and paper and anything that had a, a smiley face on it, right? Okay. He was making hand over fist, selling the same thing you can get at Kmart or Walmart <laughs> right down the street, hand over fist with money at the gimmick table. And I said, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but that's a pretty good idea. So I did Born in the USA. I wore flags in my uniform. I sold flag, anything flag related, just, and I sold t- tons of money at the gimmick table. More so that I, I could care less what my appearance fee was going to be because I already made more money than, than most of the guys that were way ahead of me on the card. So that's how that all started. Oh, it's like a basic concept and basic merch. <laughs> and then, of course, in those moments, those fans aren't thinking about, oh, I could just go to Kmart down the street and buy this for way cheaper. They're like, oh, this is this is Austin Storm here, and he's making it relevant, so I have to buy this. Yeah, and I'd sign, I'd sign their flag or sure, whatever they wanted yeah. to do. But yeah, that's yeah that and that I, and that probably leads me into uh, my wife. She was wrestling under the she wrestled under different names, but this one it was Miss Liberty. Okay, and uh, so that that's how the whole Iron Sheik thing started was was with this. That was my gimmick. I was born in the USA, uh, Austin Storm, and she was Miss Liberty, my valet. And we go up to a show out in the middle of nowhere in, in, in Georgia, and Iron Sheik's there. Okay. And uh, I wasn't booked against him. I wasn't booked against him for that show. But my friend Scott was, and he didn't have anything. Patriot, he didn't have a flat, nothing. He said, hey, man, can I borrow this flag, can I borrow your flag for the, for the match? So I said, yeah. And I go back out to my car to get it. Cause I had to change clothes. I wasn't going to wear that on right. the card. I, so I just did a plain gimmick. I just wore, you know, I think it was purple and, and silver sure. uh, outfit. So as I'm going out, she pulls up in this big blue Cadillac and he gets out and he's, he's hobbling around and he, he says, young man, Young man, come here, please. Help an old man with these bugs, please. So I go over there. Sir, I, I, I didn't know you were on. It's so nice to meet you. And I introduce myself, and I'm carrying his bag. And he, as soon as I pick up this bag, he stops limping. He just walks normal. <laughs> and it was so funny. I just kind of smirked. And it was a it was a heavy bag, though, because he carried those those iron clubs, you know, those Iraqi clubs or yeah. Irani, Irani clubs. In the bag with him, it was, it was the size of like a hockey, hockey bag. So um, we go in the match, and I said, "Hey, uh, Scott, if you want to, you know, Miss Liberty will come out with you. You know, give you a little Miss Elizabeth, yay, Scott, help, you know, all that kind of stuff." And uh, so she goes out there to help him, and there's a spot where Scott falls out of the ring. And uh, she goes after him and Miss Liberty ends up becoming between the two of them. And, and then she turns around and here there he is and he kisses her. Right. Yeah. And then Scott makes his big comeback, you know, because he was going to chase. She slaps him after he kisses her and slaps him and chases him. And then Scott makes a big comeback, cuts him off, starts starts uh, 
give him the heat, you know, and, and then they go to the finish. So he just, he thought he, that was an improv thing. He loved that. He thought she was great. She, he was hugging all over afterwards and everything and didn't think anything of it. So about three or four weeks later, I get a call and I don't even know how they got my phone number. Cause this is, this is before the internet folks. So <laughs> gets my phone number and this promoter says, Hey, Sheik wants you to come up and wrestle. Would you be interested? Absolutely. So I drive, I don't know how far it was. I'm not sure because we were right on the border of Tennessee, Georgia, and South Carolina. I think we were still in Georgia, but I'm not sure. Go in there and never met anybody. No locker room people, nothing. Introduced myself, said hi. Sheik's there. Hey, Sheik, how's it going? He goes, where's the woman? I said, what? The woman. Where's the woman? The woman that you were with. And I said, oh, man. I said, it's, you know, tomorrow's Saturday. The kids got soccer. <laughs> He's, can you cut our box? And I, he just cussing up a storm. I realized he did not care about wrestling me. He wanted, he wanted my wife again. That's what he wanted. <laughs> so I just laughed. We had a good match. We always had a friendly banter. I've always, I followed him on Twitter and all that other stuff. And, you know, uh, I'm sure he's wrestled thousands of people like me, but he always, he always asked about my wife. Um, and God bless him. He, he was, uh, always a professional and, and I really respect, I have a a bugaboo. I, I, guys like that, that are, and I said this at the Hall of Fame show, been fortunate. to, to, to personally know three men, they were without a doubt, three of the most toughest, fearsome guys. Like you would not want to mess with them. I, I said this, I said on their deathbed, they could have reached up and snatched the life right out of you. I mean, they're tough guys, but yeah. all three of them were very, very generous and kind to me just sweetheart kind of guys. And that was one was mad dog Vashon who, you know, our whole family, we just grew to, to uh, love and care all for the, all of Vashon's, uh, his brother and Luna and, um, her sister true. And just, it, it's just been a wonderful experience. And then Harley race was the second guy who, uh, I, and, and all these guys I really met as adults. Okay. I've already, I've already been wrestling and trained. Right. Harley, we met, um, he came up at a show here and, um, used our ring and Maury and I met him. And then he, he liked some of the guys that we were training and was impressed about if I would, I would email him or text him or whatever. And he'd get right back to me. I mean, within hours and i'm like this is you know one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time and he he cares he's calling me right back and and texting me and stuff like that and uh so i I had a great relationship i would send people down there um to train with him um and and a lot of the guys that would go down you know he just he had a, a great relationship with and then i i couldn't thinker that was a great relationship that i developed uh with those guys so 
Yeah, and then you said Iron Sheik would have been the third. Yeah, Iron Sheik, of course. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I mean, he, you know, he was a he was the bodyguard for the Shah of Iran. He was he was an Olympic level wrestler. He went to the Olympics for them. Um, world, you know, he wrestled in the world championships. He's just extremely uh, um, tough guy. And, but he he really had a big heart. He loved loved people and was uh, like I had said at the Hall of Fame show. He he was an example of you know the American dream. He came here with nothing, and then he became a cultural icon that really transcended wrestling itself. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, I, I think that's um, something to be said. And so, yeah, those are my stories about those three guys. I just. Uh, Great, great guys. I'm glad that I that I got to meet them. Yeah, and yeah, I'm happy for you and that you were able to develop those relationships and that you're willing to share those stories on this podcast, too. It means a lot to me as a podcast host, so thank you for that. Yeah, oh, so I let me tell you this story, as I told you about before, about okay. Jimmy Garden. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll tell you the whole weekend. I okay. get it. One of my students, the, one of the guys I said, he said, hey, I want to go down and uh, make some connections and, and do some stuff, uh, sell some pictures. I, I got a booth down at this Legends convention in Dallas. He said, if you go with me, I'll pay for everything. Got a hotel room. I, I'm driving. I'll drive back everything the whole weekend. So I go down there with him and I was going to. um I brought a bunch of stuff for new Re new revolution wrestling, which was a promotion that I was starting. And I, I wanted to get some internet connections and find out what legends were costing to bring in for the promotion and just try to spread the word, you know, follow us on online, that kind of thing. And so we go down there and have a booth. And uh, the first night is a, a meet and greet where fans pay prime money to go to this little mixer and have cocktails and, and have food and sit and talk with the wrestlers. And then they get front row seats for those, the shows and all that. For, so I know they're paying premium stuff. And I, I noticed this, this, what appears to be a dad and his son, and that's who they were. They were from Oklahoma. And I, I sat down and I'm just trying to talk to them because Nobody's, you know, they, they feel awkward and they don't know anybody and I don't know anybody really. And so I'm talking and introducing to myself and talking to them about, um, about, uh, well, they're from Oklahoma. So it's Danny Hodge. And I was like, oh man, that was one of my favorite guys and such a, a legend, you know, and yeah, you look up Danny Hodge. If you don't know, he's, he's fantastic. And so we kind of connected and then Jimmy Garvin comes around and Jimmy shows up and my friend shows up. And, and, uh, you know, I always introduce myself. Um, I said, well, hi, Jimmy, it's nice to meet you. You can call me whatever. And then I, I you know, I wrestle under Austin storm and says, nice to meet you. And, uh, my friend, goes, hi, uh, he goes, hi, I, I wrestle Midwest Russ Turner. And, uh, and Jimmy looks at me and goes, uh, uh, good for you. And he said, my, my name's Jimmy. And we, talking and you know what i didn't know is at the time is jimmy was um he was a pilot for berkshire hathaway 
Okay. So after he retired, he became pilot. And yeah. that's what he was doing. He, he goes out because I told him I was from Omaha and he was like, oh, you know, I've been there lots of times, fly for Berkshire Hathaway and stuff. And um, so we were talking and I said, well, because we were talking about my wife and taking her on the road and stuff. And he said, you know how I started with, with Precious? He said, I didn't start that way. He said, I, I was in, in uh, world class and they had, uh, I can't remember a name at the time. Okay. Sunshine was his bandit. That was, he goes, that was my cousin. Oh. And she was my manager. And then uh, he said, after a while, I, I got a look at her paycheck and I realized, man, I'm giving her all the money. So he said, <laughs> I brought my wife in to be a valet because might as well, she might as well get paid too while we're traveling. I mean, he would take her with her. They went everywhere together on the road and, and everywhere. And, and so he figured, why not get her a paycheck? Because he saw that he saw what his cousin was making from world class and, um, yeah. So like I said, you know, it's a family affair. It's, uh, for these guys that that's what they do for a living. Um, anything you can, you know, to make a living. And so he said it turned out well, because I don't know if I could have, you know, stayed on the road, uh, you know, days, months, you know, at a time. Cause back in those days we're talking, I think it was 280 was the number 280 days on the road out of a year. Yeah. So if anybody wonders why the divorce rate is so high in pro wrestling back then, it was because they were never home. Right. You know, um, that's just, that was the nature of, of the business and it was, it's hard on families. And so he fixed that one. He made his wife part of the show. So, <laughs> uh, and then I tell you what, this was the, this is, I haven't told a lot of people this. I maybe told two or three people my whole life, Okay. but one of my most mark out moments for me, at least was I'm at the hotel and we're done. It's Saturday morning. It's before they have the, the big show and stuff. And I get up and I go to the gym. And so I'm at the hotel gym. It's not a big one, but it's got a different couple different machines and stuff. And I'm working out, just trying to get my, my workout done. And Kevin Von Erich comes in and he starts talking to this guy. And I, this old guy's bald, big, big guy. I mean, he's, he's pushing some weight and he's doing it one right after the other, right after the other, right after the other. No breaks. And I had no idea because I, I didn't recognize him. It'd been years and everything. Later in the show, he comes out. And it was the missing link. Oh. And so here I am <laughs> up in up in a, a little hotel gym working out with Kevin Von Eric and the missing link. It's just the three of us. Right. And I was like, holy cow, man. That's that was something that I just kind of like you know, internalized, uh, as a, as a great moment for me, um, without, you know, that was the Dallas show was good. Cause I, there were some people I haven't seen in years that we reconnected and talked to and, and things like that. But, um, you know, those guys just, you know, even the retired old guys, man, that's, they, they still love to come out, meet the fans, talk about the good old days, stuff like that. 
And then I was thinking about who was all on that card. And, and I had, hadn't seen people for years back in the old Georgia days that were now here at yeah. that Dallas convention. And then I was saying that the, uh, the Freebirds were there. I think Terry Gordy had already passed away, but Buddy Roberts was there uh, okay. before he passed away. And then Carrie, of course, and uh, Michael Hayes. And it was, it was really quite the, the extravaganza. Um, it was, I'm glad to have been on that show. It was, it was nice. Oh, so, I bet. That's, that was my experience from Dallas. That's incredible. And, and you know, I've been, I've been in Dallas cause I worked, I worked at a company called XCW. Okay. Um, and oddly enough, oh, I'll tell you this. Brian Blade may not want me to tell you this story, but I'll tell it to you anyway. If Brian Blade Kevin doesn't Payne, want you to tell it, then I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. So Kevin Payne was the guy. He was a wrestler down there in XCW. Um, who's now called Keith Lee. Okay. You know, yeah. your fans there. And we're doing an after show because we, we were going down every two weeks so we could hit the pay-per-views for XCW. They were on MAV TV and we, we were just trying to go down there to be consistent for them because I had gone down there and said, look, I, I noticed you guys are wrestling the same couple of guys all the time, you know, in just different combinations. So if I'm ever down here and then that's when they said, well, we'd like you to come in, but we, you know, we need to come have you come in every couple of weeks so that you're on TV for the tapings and stuff. So that's how we got started. And there was hot stuff. Hernandez and, um, Oh God, what's Dylan's name? Necro butcher. I mean, there was a whole bunch of people on, on those cards. Uh, Manny, Manny Fernandez was on there. Yeah. But anyway, Keith Lee, they're at the bar late afterwards. And the promoter is making, so he makes uh, Keith Lee and Brian Blade sing karaoke at this bar. He's like, you got to do it. Uh, you know what? You, you're going, you're, he, so he made him go up there and he didn't tell him anything. And I, golly, I swear to God, I think the song was, uh, I touched myself by the, oh. what is that? The, you're, I can't remember the name of the group. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The old, the old 80s song. Yeah. So to hear those two big guys, those two big guys with the mics behind them singing that song, just, I wish I would have had a videotape because it would have been, it would have been posterior to, to show. But uh, yeah, Brian Blade and Keith Lee <laughs> up, up there singing karaoke. Uh, that was funny. Oh yeah. No kidding. Uh, People don't, you know, you, you, when you travel with the promoter that you're going to tells you, so you don't, you don't, you might be in the car with a guy and you end up wrestling him that night, or you may end up wrestling with him or whatever. You never know. I mean, that's, that's the idea is that you're just doing whatever they ask you to do, you know, right. in terms of pairing up or not. So, uh, like in XCW, we were, Brian Blade and I were, a tag team um and they were they they would talk to us like hey that was pretty good and, not, and i said you know we we never tag we are not a tag team <laughs> anywhere else except here right they were like really i was like yeah we usually wrestle against each other um but yeah uh i guess you just knew each other so well lot, that it would have worked 
Well, and that's, we wrestled each other so many times because when Brian started, he started with the OWA and, yeah. um, so yeah, we, we wrestle each other. I don't, I couldn't even tell you, we would look at each other and just, you know, what do you want to do? And, and we wouldn't even have to talk about it really. Right. Um, I think my favorite match with Brian against Brian was up in South Dakota. Okay. And we were at this little, I don't remember the name of the town. It was near, near the, uh, monuments up there. It was a little town. Okay. And, um, but, but it was a pretty crowded gym, huge. And it was just, you could tell right away when you'd go out there that it was something, there was something in the air with the crowd. Because we didn't, we had the crowd going so much. We didn't even lock up for the first like seven or eight minutes. We had them going. I mean, we had them in the palm of our hands. Didn't even lock up for seven, seven or eight minutes after the, the bell started. And the crowd just went crazy. It was a, it was a really fun interaction with the crowd and something I'll, I'll remember in terms of, um, connecting with, you know, the crowd in that way. Um, so I really, I, I really enjoyed that, that match back then. Um, yeah. What else we got here? <laughs> All right, I got ahead of myself there, Austin, but uh, look, sounds like you had another story in mind. So, floor is yours. All right, so I, I'm going to tell you this: this is an old school story. We were in Atlanta wrestling, and we were, if anybody knows that area, we're right by the the Atlanta Zoo. So it's not a great neighborhood, and we were in a a karate studio gymnasium type thing, and we've been running there for a while, and um. I had finally gotten some momentum. I was wrestling this guy, Leatherface. So he comes out with this chainsaw. You know, he looks like the the character Leatherface. Right. And we'd wrestle time and time again. And so, uh, in fact, I'll tell you this right real quick. We were set up for uh, a match. And um, so I had my valet, my wife there. And if I... So we're, we're working this spot and she suddenly turns on me and throws, she's supposed to throw, if anybody, she's supposed to throw salt, but she, they didn't have salt. So she threw flour and my mouth was wide open when I turned. So then I'm, I'm on the ground gurgling, making spaghetti in my mouth. And, uh, if you don't know the crowd in, in the South, they take their wrestling real serious. And when that happened, I thought they were going, these women were going to kill her. They were, they were hot. They were mad. So the next two weeks after that, we have this big match, right? It's for the television championship or something. And I'm finally getting some speed. I'm trying to get some, cause this guy, you just can't do anything with He's huge. He's monstrous. And I'm out there wrestling and, uh, the referee is a young kid. He's 15 years old and he's one of the wrestlers kids. His name was the wrestler's name was Ken Timms and Ken was really well known. I wrestled all over the country, been on 
uh, NWA, Crockett Promotions, everything. And he was a great wrestler, great guy. So I'm wrestling, and um, I'm out there, and I finally hit a, a finishing move. And I go to cover, and I look around because I thought the crowd was going to go crazy, and there is nobody there. And I look up there, and there's this huge fight way up in the top of the arena. I'm talking about men, women. I mean, it's a brawl. It goes crazy. And so, match is over because, you know, there's nobody around. And uh, so, I go back and a lot of chaos going on. Finally, get to the kid who's the referee. Because what I saw was he's he punches this guy. Some woman takes a fire extinguisher, hits him in the back of her head. He turns around, hits her. Then I mean, it's chaos, right? Yeah. So, we finally calm him down. And it takes forever. And what happened was... His little brother was running the gimmick table because Ken's wife, Rosa, Rosie, she makes masks and stuff. Yeah. And he was watching it. And some little kid kept taking off with one. And the kid finally said, hey, you cannot leave with that mask unless you pay for it. So they got in a little tussle. And the dad's, the kid's dad backhands this this kid. Well, this little kid, this six-year-old he was Ken's wrestler. So he was handling that boy. And that's why the dad went up and I don't know what he was thinking, but he backhands him. Well, his brother, the 15 year old referee sees this. And while we're wrestling on the outside, he runs up and punches the dad, oh, knocks him no. down. And that's how the all chaos started. Right. Yeah. And you can imagine. And this isn't a bad neighborhood in Atlanta. So there's cars peeling out and just everybody's screaming and everything, right? And I, I finally get everybody out, get back in. Everybody go back inside. And I look down the alleyway, this alleyway, and this is nighttime. And I see my youngest daughter. She's hiding in the in the uh, garbage bins over there. And I run up to her and I said, Dar- what are you doing? What's What's wrong? I thought maybe because all this chaos had scared her and everything. And she looked at me and she said, is Leatherface gone? She was terrified of Leatherface. <laughs> and the funny thing was her favorite character was the hillbilly, this masked guy. Okay. And guess what? Oh, they were the same people. <laughs> it was the same guy. What a coincidence. <laughs> I just, that was, that was, oh my Lord. I mean, that was, and that was the end of the promotion right about then. Oh, of course. <laughs> he never came back, so. Oh, yeah. sounds chaotic for sure. My goodness. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to kind of want to take things back a little bit. I usually, when bringing, bringing wrestling personalities on to, uh, Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast, kind of get your, uh, Take things back. Where where did your wrestling fandom start? Uh, who were some of those wrestlers you really idolized, and uh, and then bring us into getting into the business? Let's let's hear your story if you don't mind sharing it. Oh sure. I really started when I was very very little. I don't re- even remember how old I was. Maybe three or four that I remember. Okay. Watching wrestling, and it was the AWA. Um. So there were, you know that that was the local station was watching AWA. And then as I grew older and we got cable, 
this is in the 70s, you had access to AWA, NWA, Crockett Promotions, and then the WWF. And so, yeah, I got to see all the great, I got to see, you know, uh, Morocco and, and Snuka and Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas and the Wild Samoans and guys like that, you know, and then Hogan was a baby face. He was a heel in the WWE. He, he left, he did the Rocky picture. Okay. Uh, Rocky three. And then when he came back, he was in the AWA. Okay. And he was a baby piece. So I just see all that kind of stuff going on during that time period. Right. Uh, but my favorite was always the, the Crockett promotions, the NWA Crockett promotions. Okay. And uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And I snookered my way into the arena by talking to security kind of walked up and acting uh, like I knew what I was doing and wanted to talk to the head of security and got all the way down there. Cause I, I've gone up from where the rest was come in to the parking garage and then just walked in and acted like I knew what I was doing and talked to the, the promoter or the uh, head of security. And I said, well, you know, I'm here to help you with your security problem. And he said, well, I don't have a security problem. And I said, what's my name? And how did I get here? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, buddy here. And I brought my wife in and we sat and watched and, and that kind of started. He said, anytime you want to come in and help me see, you know, tell me what's going on and what you see, let me know. And so I would go there and that's how I met local wrestlers. And that's how I kind of got started with wrestling in the area. And this was in, started in 88, but I didn't debut and, you know, and that's that's how I got started. But um, it wasn't easy breaking in. There wasn't internet sources. There wasn't insider websites. There weren't uh, uh, insider terms used or somewhere that you asked, "Hey, how do I become a wrestler?" They'd probably tell you to screw off. Right. I mean, that's they were very protective about. This. But then it became a very close community because everybody knew each other some okay. way so that's how i started and then um i left started up again in 95 worked all the way through 99 moved back to omaha to nebraska wa right here in omaha and so i went there and um started helping them train and and run a promotion and that's how I got started there in Omaha, but I'd been wrestling about 10 years. Um, there was only four of us that had actually done anything, wrestled anywhere or anything at the time of the school. Okay. There was me, uh, Glenn Holbrook. He was from Georgia too, and he was stationed here. And then he ended up leaving going to Japan wrestling the summer of that year with the OWA and then muscles Malone and then Jaden Drago. Okay. So Jaden had been trained at uh, Shawn Michaels Academy and wrestled. I mean, there's four guys, they know what they're doing and they're training everybody from, from the ground up basically right from lock up to, to finish. 
And um, so that's how we started here in Omaha because we really didn't, we had a, a athletic commission that for years and years and years made it almost impossible to run a promotion in Nebraska. It took about 14 to, to $1,500 minimum before you open the doors because you had to pay a doctor. Everybody had to have a physical. It was a difficult process to hold shows. It wasn't going to happen. Right. So we all we went to Iowa and back again and maybe saved our money and then ha- hold one big show here and then went back. It was a difficult process because we, you know, you could only do like a, a county fair that would pay you. That would be the only way that you could really depend on having a show in Nebraska. And then once they dropped the, the commission, um, then it became more feasible. But yeah, it was back in those days. It was a struggle for all the promotions to, to make it, you know, but all of them really emanated from the OWA because even the guys that started their own promotion here, they were they were trained by one of us when right. they when it all started. So that's why, like Maury, is really what we call the godfather of wrestling in in Nebraska because he really started it all here. Um, and so you know everybody loves Maury. Maury's one of the most honest generous guys you ever meet which is which <laughs> if you ever worked with promoters is is a rarity because you don't always are you're not always blessed to, to meet someone like that um who's honest and upfront with you um i tell all my students when they're wrestling wherever they go i said don't you ever take a, a booking somewhere where you can't go up there and come back on your own dime. If you need their money to, to make it, don't go. Cause you never know, you know, um, that's, that's a common thing. Hey, the show didn't, we didn't have as many people as we thought. So here, you know, and that's not what they promised you. We right. that what he do. So that's, that was my bit of advice for all the local wrestlers. Don't you can leave your money and go everywhere. I've been all over. I've been from Texas to, to Canada. I've been from Mexico to Canada, to Florida, to way out West. And, um, I always, I never relied on that guy paying my bills to get me there and back. So, uh, and, and nobody else should do the same because you never know. Yeah. No, that's really good advice that really so many should take to heart. Well, you know, and and then that's another aspect of it, right? You're a lot of these guys are just trying to make a name and, and everything else. But, um, if you get, put yourself in that kind of position and they want you to do something dangerous or the, something that you're not comfortable with, you know, it's, it's harder to say no when you need the money, you know? Right. And so I, you know, I don't know how many times I've wrestled or some, some, somebody wanted to do something and I, I'd be like, you've lost your mind. No, <laughs> we're not doing that. Right. So, um, yeah. And you know, it's each to each their own, but you, you've got to be comfortable doing it in the first place. So, uh, some guys like, like certain types of matches, hardcore matches or whatever. Back in the old days, they had those kind of matches, but they were all blow off matches, you know, big, that's the end of the deal type of thing, you know? Um, I, I remember wrestling Tommy Snow. 
Okay. And if anybody doesn't know Tommy, Tommy was, and I'll reveal this secret now too. Tommy was the most asked about wrestler. If he wasn't there at a show of indie, indie wrestler that I've ever met when it was, and it wasn't just MWA. It was other promotions. If he wasn't on the card, somebody would come up and say, Hey, when are you going to have Tommy? When are you going to have Tommy snow? I can tell you that now because, uh, I think Brian and I didn't want to want to tell him that, so he 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 would charge us more. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nah, he wouldn't do that. He was a good guy, but right. I wrestled Tommy. I don't know how many times, and it was so easy. He's so easy to work, and and uh, he was such a, a character that everybody loved. That it was so easy then as a heel to to work. It was just you made your job so much easier, and. uh we wrestled him for like a full straight year. All the one of the all Americans or anything, but poor Tommy didn't matter whether he won or lost in any of the matches. He'd still get a beaten. I mean, a beaten afterwards. And so we played this out for a whole year, a whole year. And it finally accumulated where I took uh nugget, his little head that he brings to the ring with him. Okay. And we had it in a cage. So it was a big cage match. Big cage match in somewhere. Iowa, I think. It's Council Bluffs, I think. Gotcha. Big cage match. And um, I, I, the reason I like that was one of my favorite matches is we took our time developing that whole story. Because we were on cable television and we we played weekly episodes. And so... We had that and, and the fans that would get, come, come into each each of the shows. We took our time with that story and that development. And that cage match just blew it off. And it was a, a huge ending. And and it was one of my favorites because the crowd just erupted. And uh, we really put each other through it, though, because, I mean, we were both just gushing blood. Yeah, that that match. But um, yeah, but he's still one of my favorite wrestlers to see him and Mr. Um, Mr. Fitness are two guys that just, you know, they're it's a it's a brotherhood of of that. We share great times and matches and and everything together. And I don't know if anybody even from a fan's perspective because, you know, I, I often watch, you know, you watch a boxing match, you watch Frazier Ollie, or you watch an MMA fight, and they're just killing each other. And then afterwards, they're hugging, you know, right. it's it's just it's hard to explain. Wrestling really professional wrestling is really one of the oddest, craziest things to try to explain to somebody who doesn't know. Or if somebody was unfamiliar with wrestling and you try to explain it, it it'd be almost impossible. Yeah, no kidding. It, it's, it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, yeah, I've seen some guys just about going to blows over not hitting each other hard enough or whatever. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's what? <laughs> <laughs> They're about ready to actually, you know, punch each other as hard as they can because you didn't, you didn't punch me hard enough, you know, out there or, or whatever was their little bugaboo, um, which is, I always find, funny but you know it's it's just uh everybody wants to go out there and, and 
put on the best show that they can for everybody. And they're real particular about that. Um, you know, I think wrestling has changed a lot on how that is done. Right. Because I, I just like to go out there and listen to the audience and just kind of work off them. And just, that's, that's just me, but some people, they need a little more structure, a little more, all of that. But, um, I, I just think there's a little bit more artistry to it. If you, if you do it more freehand kind of thing, yeah. in my opinion, but you know, to each their own. So, yeah. Now one, one story I wanted you to tell on air. We were talking before we went on the air here and you were telling me as a trainer, uh, the meetings, some of your trainees who would immediately tell you about, about what their finisher is. Uh, you uh, care to oh. mention that here? Yeah. So you have a tendency to meet guys. Now they're young, they're enthusiastic. They just, you know, they have all these ideas and a couple of them, and I've been to other schools and other promotions too. They'll, first of all, it's about their character. So they'll come in and they'll say, Hey, you know, here's this kid who, who's probably, I don't know, five, six, five, seven, 130 pounds and he's the death eater and he's a combination of the undertaker and the rock, a little bit of stone cold. And they, they look at you seriously telling you this and you have to look at him and go, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and just, you know, bring him down a little bit. You gotta, I don't know where you're coming from kid, but you just wait. And then they will be like, okay, I got this finisher and I take you up to the top rope. And, you know, I, and then I, I spike you on top of your head or something, just crazy things like that. And, um, like, you know, here, I got your finisher because you know, what it's called, it's called looking up at the lights because that's what you're going to be doing for the next couple of years. Just looking up at the lights, paying your dues, you know, taking your whippings like everybody else. Cause I know I took mine and I know the guys that I trained it didn't make it easy for them. You know, we put in the blood, sweat and tears for that. And, uh, yeah, you just don't walk in and, and that's, you're the star. So, uh, yeah, it's always funny when you, you, I've seen guys spend more time on the, those kind of things or their costumes or what they're going to wear than they do on the basis of learning to wrestle. And a lot of them, you know, they're enthusiastic about it, but when reality hits, you end up not ever seeing them again. Right. Like, and nothing can happen fast enough for them. Like, they want success right away. And that just doesn't happen. You know, I'm going to tell you, there's probably two or three guys in this business, maybe ever, that just went to the top real, real fast. You know? Um, Big Show, Andre the Giant, obviously. Big Show. I mean, those guys are size. Right. You, you got to, you know, you're not, they're not, they're not coming in and losing to Bill or Randy Mulkey. They're, they're, they're there for a reason. They're an attraction, right? Yeah. Uh, Goldberg obviously was an experiment that worked. Um, he had success right away. Um, but he, look, he's a big, strong, mean, good looking guy. He's got an appeal for just about everybody. He, he's a promoter's dream. That's, those are few and very hard far between because everybody else got to work their way up from the top to the bottom, you know? And so that's what I tell all the new guys is look, if I were you, I just 
put on a black mask and go out there and just learn to work, learn to wrestle, you know, figure out what you do well and, and what you don't do well and always work on what you don't do well, but always accentuate what you do do well. Because if you can do the basics, if you can do the thing, I tell you what, we can have a good match as long as you listen. As long as you listen, we're going to have a good match. If you don't, it's going to be a painful experience for you. Because it, it, it just, that's the way the business is. I, I remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one story. Go for it. We were on a tape, we we're doing a taping, and I wrestled this kid, and afterwards, he, he was like, um, what? Well, I, I knew why he got nervous and he got all blown up. He couldn't, he, he could hardly breathe. He tapped out like five minutes into the match and I wouldn't let him. We had to finish the match. We started over again, but he was saying that I, you know, that I it worked him stiff somewhere down there. And I was, oh, you know, he, he's crazy or whatever. So years later, I'm talking about maybe 10 years. I find this, this video, this tape. And I'm going through it and I go, ah, man, I remember this guy, this kid, you know, David was his name. And, uh, he gives, he works me and he does a, like a right handed arm drag or something. Okay. And I, I end up running, running over top of him. And so I cover, I hook his leg real quick. But then when we get up to square up again, you could tell the look on my face and I throw about two or three forearms right in his face and i'm like well i take that back i did stiff him a little bit <laughs> but it was for his own good right because that's another thing i tell people hey it's not personal but you're gonna have one of those where you freeze up and it's a wake up dumbass time moment where i i, I give you a big forearm or something to wake you up and get you back to where you're going where you need to be because they'll forget. They'll they just get all excited. There's a couple of guys that I've worked that they just get scared. They get excited and they lose their mind. They forget what they're doing, everything. And and you just got to refocus them. But that's what I'm saying. It's This is such a bizarre sport when it comes to that. It's really art form and, and athleticism and everything else. But, man, you just you never know. You just got to get in there and experience it. To, to realize what it's like. Um, but, you know, I love it. Everybody, there, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that everybody loves wrestling. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that, those moments where, uh, you know, you can look back now at all the students that had run through and we'd run through hundreds. I, I've, I've had a few that even worked with the promotion later that made it through the training and promotion. And then the one kid come up and he was like, Hey, I used to be in the OWA and I don't even remember we were in Omaha. So I had a kind of a dumbass moment too, but I was like, which, which OWA? Cause I probably, you know, it's just OWA. I wrestled for Omega wrestling association. I wrestled for different, you know, things that's meant different Thing. And he was like, right. "Oh, here in Omaha for Maury. And I was like, "Oh, okay." I and and uh, fitness and I were talking about this. It's like they all start to blur the years and the matches and and everything that that I I remember somebody telling me this whole match that I worked in 
Alabama and we were on television or something. I have no idea. <laughs> I, they were telling my brother. I said, I don't, I don't even remember that. Where, who was I? Who was it? What group and stuff? And they, they'd tell me and I said, I don't remember that. But that, and I was telling you this earlier in Georgia, you'd go out to a show, you know, could be just a local show. And, uh, I remember going in there and Tommy Rich, wildfire Tommy Rich was in the locker room. Uh, Ivan Koloff, Manny Fernandez, uh, just random guys that, that are huge names, legends in the sport, just sitting in the locker room. I didn't even know they were booked, you know, right. They hadn't even been advertised in some cases. They're in your local shows. Cause you know, maybe they're from there or they're passing through or whatever. Yeah. Um, not Tommy at the time that I was in Georgia, uh, had was running television locally there. And then, uh, he said, Oh, I'm, I'm, we're closing down. We're, we're, I'm going up North. It's like, Oh, good. Well, what are you doing? He's like, uh, I'm working for ECW. So he got pulled in to ECW. And so he stopped running locally cause he was up working for them. Yeah. When he was, uh, the big, what do they call him? The big Don or something like that. When he was with, uh, the FBI. Oh, the full blooded Italians. Yeah. Yeah. With Tracy Smothers and Guido and, and all those guys. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, well, even locally, I guess if you were, you know, you had, uh, Mantar, Mike Halleck, who worked and lived in Omaha. We came back, even ran a little TNA show where a lot of the guys from TNA were on in Omaha. Um, Butch Reed was in Kansas. Butch would be on a show, stuff like that. Um, but probably the, the, the card that probably meant a lot to me was right here in Omaha was, uh, Ted DiBiase was running a show. So it was Ted DiBiase, Terry Taylor. Terry was wrestling and he was booking as the road warriors and sting. And then the local and me and, and hype Gotti and, and two other guys, I think it was, uh, Babyface and Jaden were on the card. So we kicked the card off and then those guys came on and wrestled some local. I don't know who they were. I, oh no, no, it was uh, James and Mark. So you, that was a, a good experience. That was a, quite an experience for me. Cause you, when you go out there, as far as it, cause it was outdoors, as yeah. far as the eye could see was nothing but people, I, nothing but people. I'm, I'm frustrated. Not cause that is a great experience for you, but I'm thinking I was, I was not even, I was just maybe preteen or a teenager at that time. And I remember it was, it was a big deal. Cause it was kind of like a church event too, with all those like the yeah. big name wrestlers and a guy from yeah. my church was going up there and he called my house and was like saying he was going up there. Well, he was inviting me to go with him and my dad didn't realize that. And he said, Oh no, you can't, you can't go. I can't take you up there. And so I couldn't go. And then I heard about the success of it. And to this day, I'm like, man, that's one of those events I would have, I would have loved to be at. And I just missed the opportunity due to yeah. the misunderstanding from my dad. But yeah, there was a, a WWE show in Lincoln and more people showed up to that, 
to our show, to that show. Because I remember. I was at that WWE was, show. Every time I saw Joe, Joe would tell, would remind me of that one. Yeah. So, because uh, I, I, it was, it was nice. I got to meet the pastor that was in charge of there and we had dinner before the night before. And, and uh, I think animal and Hawk and every, you know, we were sitting around the table eating and talking, hearing stories. And it was, yeah. I, it was one of those where I let the, them just talk and I would just listen. It was, right. it was a great experience. And then backstage before we went out, we talked, I could tell you a lot. They told lots of stories. Let me tell you that. And that was, it was, it was a great experience for them. But the two things that I remember was, so James and Mark were the pastor's sons and they had been trained in Oklahoma by a guy named Bull Schmidt. Was a pretty well-known local or indie guy. Okay. And he did it during the church camp during the, so, you know, they don't, it's not like they went through a whole big summer camp of intense training or something right. like that. They, so they knew, they knew a little bit, but not probably enough to be dangerous. And then they trained this other kid. And I, I don't know the kid's real name, his name. He wrestled as Sonny as Sonny. Right. Yeah. So, um, I'm talking to this kid and this kid has no idea who Terry Taylor is. None. And, it, and, and I looked at him and I said, I, do you realize how lucky your very first match in professional wrestling and you're wrestling Terry Taylor? And he just clueless. Oh, so no. during the match, he's dropping elbows on Terry and he's hitting him with the point of his elbow. And Terry takes about three of those and he reaches up and he bites him as hard as he can right on the ribs. And the next day, he had a perfect bite mark. The kid rolled up his shirt, perfect bite mark. Terry came over and signed it and said, here, here's your receipt. (laughs) 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 My face, the kid, look at that kid's face was funny. The other one was James and Mark said, look, um, what do we do? I mean, they were nervous. They're wrestling the road warriors. Right. And I said, I'm going to give you some advice. When you, when you hit them, lay them in, they got to feel it. And they looked at me like they didn't believe me. They're like, really? And I said, I look, I Joe's pretty easy going guy, but, but, uh, Hawk is Mike. Yeah. I said, I think he'll, he might get insulted. If you don't, you got it. You got to lay him in. I mean, he's a man. He's going to take it. Yeah. Put him in there. I said, he's got to, you know, get it fired up. He's, he, it'll make you mad if you don't. And they didn't, I don't think, perform to the level that Mike thought. Oh, <laughs> no. They, they didn't look like they were laying them in. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, um, Mike gets all fired up and he does a double clothesline. He really nails them. And, and one of them, I don't remember if it was James or Mark, hurts their shoulder. And he's down. And so then they go to the finish, which was a doomsday. They, they're going to do a doomsday on the other one, I guess. Yeah. And then we go to the finish and sting shows up. It's all part of the show. Very, very, it was great. And, uh, more, thank God Maury was there. It was awesome experience. And, um, and being backstage and talking to him and, and sting and I were, he lived in Alpharetta and I got to talk, catch up with him. Cause you know, he's from Omaha he was born here and then they moved to California and, yeah. and then he was living in Alpharetta 
and and I hadn't heard from him since. And I said, "How's Alfred?" And he goes, "I am. I know. I moved back to California after the contract was up. So moved back to California. His kid was playing football, and he had to you know learn little things about these guys and and everything. And uh, yeah, it was it was really a, a great wrestling experience, but a personal experience too. No kidding. And then uh, um. I'm not a big guy trying to get pictures backstage and all that, but man, I had a chance with Sting and, and, uh, and Hawk. And, um, so I got my picture taken with them and I don't regret that. You know, yeah. I think that was a, a picture that I'll always remember. I have it up and stuff. And then, um, you know, Mike passed away. And so I just, I feel privileged to have gotten that. And then, a couple of years later for another promotion, Joe's working, animals working. And, and, uh, I said, Hey, I, cause I knew the promoter. I said, look, um, I'll come in for, you know, whatever you're paying plus a hotel. You can put me on the car. Cause I, I'd like to see Joe again. I like to see animal. And, um, so me and my wife, we pack up, we go down to the show and have a show. And I think by God, I, I think I wrestled Tommy again. <laughs> on okay. that show and uh saw joe and he remembered great memory that guy like i said every time i see him he he remembered that show he remembered us and and everything it was uh, quite an experience and i i missed out on getting a picture taken last time so when i was at the show i got a picture taken with him and and i'm so glad because you know he then he passed away so right it's really been those kind of experiences um because I always like, well, I, I asked, uh, two people before I asked Rocco rock once I said, um, is there a promotion that you would recommend that I, I go to, or I don't go to. And he said, no, not really. He said, honestly, WWE, you know, he said, Vince didn't like us, but he may love you. You know, you never know. You just, you gotta try to get that experience. Say, so get your money up front, go in there work it then you'll know yeah that's why i always tell everybody go in there with your eyes open but make sure you can go there with your own on your own dime and back but yeah you know you hear good things and bad things about different promotions and stuff go in there and find out for yourself you know what i mean and and you'll know because they may for some reason maybe your buddy says oh don't go and work for this group and maybe because he rubbed them wrong something you go in there and they may love you you know so you just gotta uh balance that and realize that when you go in um there's a couple of questions i want to ask before we uh we leave here and off of stories that you and i've talked about in person and just kind of getting a little more feel of your experiences and that number one so so you have have a long, successful wrestling career. It seems like you were pretty satisfied, but you uh, you just told me the story the other night of what kind of going into your retirement and what your expectations were and what ended oh. up happening. Can you share that here? Yeah, you know, you, you reach a certain age and you got to ask yourself when when is it time to retire? And I went to Mad Dog and I said, Mad Dog, um, when did you know when it was time to retire? And he, he looked at me and he said, kid, you're just going to wake up one day and you're going to know. And I was like, oh, geez, well, you know, thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Maurice, for that pearl of wisdom. But it was true. It ended up 
you know, there, there's little markers that I've always set for myself, physically speaking, in terms of being able to move around the ring or, or whatever. And, and like one of them, and I probably told you that. Yeah. When it, man, when I was young, I'd work out. And when I do legs, I, I'd, you know, I'd go to, to failure. And a couple hours later, I'd be in the ring wrestling. And, and as the years went on, it just kept going, you know, Thursday would be my day that I have to do legs before I work for the weekend. And then Wednesday and then Tuesday, pretty soon, you know, I'd get off the road on Sunday and I'd, I'd have to go in the gym then because otherwise I wouldn't have it. The, I mean, the legs really, the wear and tear of the knees and the, the connecting joints of all your body. That's the, that's the thing that tears you down that you can't build. It doesn't matter how tough you are or anything else. It, when you when you're losing ligaments and and everything tendons and all that when you're tearing them you're losing them and stuff like that it's it's you know impossible to move and i always set myself that this is i've got to reach these physical markers before i would ever think about wrestling again and and that's why uh you know i've stayed away because yeah i've sustain the injuries i just am not up to my standard of what it would need to me put me back in the ring yeah and then i mean you you kind of you then told me when when it was time to retire you had to get away you had to get away and you had to stay away from uh you know i talked to you about even just watching it on tv and so i just want to give you a platform to share that here yeah uh i i just for me and my personal you know you get everybody talks about the bug or you get the fever again and you want to go back in the ring and you miss it and stuff and i just thought you know if i don't separate myself from that uh entirely and just you know focus on something else in my life uh then yeah there's always going to be a wanting and stuff and so i decided you know i i need to step away and not watch or 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 hang around the old guys and stuff like that, uh, uh, go to the old shows and be one of those guys that were just hanging around and stuff. Cause that, then you're going to get it again. You're going to get that, that desire to go back and, yeah. and wrestle again. And, uh, you know, some life things changed with me, uh, you know, work and family and, and, uh, I was able to spend more time with my wife. We're, going on vacation anybody knows we go on a lot of vacations because we enjoy traveling and uh and things like that uh everybody asks me how i can afford to do that and that's you know uh i found somebody i found a travel agent that loves uh, big k sodas and so uh that and a, and a couple hot dogs and i'm i'm set for a trip somewhere you know there you go <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, no, that's, I mean, we, it's just something you got to make time for and that's what we, we enjoy doing, but I do like coming back to the shows now. Um, anything for charity events, I'll come in and stuff, the hall of fame shows, stuff like that. I enjoy seeing the guys again and, yeah. and some, some new faces. There's a lot of new guys on there that I think, uh, are doing quite well with carrying the torch, you know? And I, I want to see some new fans come out there and experience that, uh, because there's some great talent out there that are working 
on the indies and i'm just beginning to rediscover some of those guys because i haven't seen them before right so it's it's also a new experience for me that i enjoy um watching but yeah no uh god rest his soul you know he just recently passed but you didn't want to be the next terry funk and have those multiple retirements so you you had to be done once you were ready right right you know it's for me it's like um once i knew that it was time then it was it was just almost like a promise I made. I was like, you know, I'm just not going to be that guy that comes back a lot yeah. of times. But, you know, I, I can't speak for anybody else because, I mean, sometimes it's, it's uh, first of all, it's financial. I mean, some of those guys, uh, God bless them, they, they maybe don't want to, but they have not, are not fi- set up financially. They got it. They, you know, they need the money. So yeah. they'll, they'll come to these shows and do these stuff. Um, but in other words, and in, in, in other times though, you know, it's really a lifestyle, the whole thing from beginning to end, getting on the road, you know, piling in the car with your friends and, and, uh, getting on to the next city and the hotel rooms and the getting up. I remember days where we would do a tour, you know, with the MWA and we'd be gone for, you know, 10 days, two weeks or whatever. And it was, you know, same thing. Or Brian and I would do the same thing when we were driving to Texas. It was, you know, you get there, you go to the gym, you eat breakfast, you uh, do your obligations. Like if we were in Texas, we'd drive all night. We'd do the school that night, that night, Thursday. We'd go back, we'd shower, we'd get in our car, we'd drive all the way down to Dallas. Okay, we'd pull in, we'd drop our bags, we would... uh go eat breakfast. Then we'd go to the gym. Then we'd come back, get our bags and everything set for the afternoon. Then we'd have to go pre press stuff, you know, shake hands and kiss babies for sponsors and people that are there for that. And then the pre dinner and then the show and then the afterward show. And then you get up and you drive back nine hours and load up your ring and go to a show and do the whole thing the whole weekend. It's, it was the same thing over and over again. So some of these guys, man, they're just so used to that. That's their life. That's their lifestyle, their family, their friends, everything's on the road. So yeah, I, I can't blame them. I understand that. Um, yeah. I was just lucky enough not to have to rely on, on that in order to, to pay the bills or anything else. So well, then- it, it's a good experience. I love it. I, you know, I miss many aspects of it, but, uh, you know, you take it in, take it in stride and just make the shows when you can. And absolutely. And, uh, but if you're a fan, go out there and catch as many as you can. And then, so I don't know, you know, I, I just met you recently. I've been, um, you know, involved with MWA for six years now, but one, one staple, and you've, you've kind of mentioned it here and there throughout this, this interview, but in 2018, the very, very first class of the Nebraska Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, what it meant to you to be in the Nebraska Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame since the beginning? Well, you know, to me, it, I mean, that was such a, a great honor. I look at all the names that that were in there with us, you know, um, Baron and and. Maurice, Mad Dog Vachon, um, DiBiase, just 
uh, even the, 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 the older names, historically speaking, if you just look up that belt, look up that 2018, if you don't recognize any of those names, look them up because they're, it's a rich history of, of Nebraska pro wrestling. And then of course, you know, uh, my brother, uh, Maury Swanger to be brought in there with him is such a, an, an honor, but I really think of it more of, of just being the first, uh, I really credit it just from, from teaching aspect and, and being a part of the OWA, which he let me belong, you know, be a part of that really led to all of that. And if it wasn't for the OWA, then yeah, nobody, would, nobody would know who I am. So I yeah. got to give Maury all the credit for that. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, that you are getting a little more comfortable with coming back. It's been, it's been an honor and a pleasure, honor and a privilege to just get to know you over the last couple months. Um, I appreciate your time coming on to Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast today. And honestly, Austin Storm, you had so many stories, and I know you have so many more. So I'd love to have you back on the podcast in the future as well. Well, awesome. I do appreciate it. And uh, anytime, you just give me a call, and I'll I'll be uh, I'll be just a phone call away. Sounds so, good. So uh, I appreciate everybody listening. And uh, like I said, come out there and catch a local show. You won't be disappointed. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it any better myself. This was another episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac. We had the honor and privilege today of talking to Austin Storm. And uh, again, thank you for your time. And to the listeners, thank you for, for you know, just the support and listening to this episode. This is another episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. And until next time, we will see you then. Have a good day, everyone.